We may have to revert to the days of podcast verite on the production side. No, no, no. I, I, they need to be edited because I, I, I sound like shit until I edit myself, so I don't stutter everywhere. Um, I don't think that that's necessarily the case. I mean, one of the things that I noticed, and this is a good place to start, in fact, is that, um, you know when you say um or er uh, or something like that, if you play like a, a speech someone gives or something to people and you leave in all that stuff in, the people who come away and then they're given a quiz about what you talked about remember more than if somebody goes through and carefully edits out all the the vocal pauses and, and ticks. Weirdly, they're like a sort of subconscious signal for people to pay attention. How strange is that? Okay, well, I'll just pound, I'll just edit in some more errs into my bits then. <laughs> I'm not sure it works the other way around. Although, to be fair, what you've just done brilliantly is redesign their experiment to say, if you put more in, does that increase the retention rate? That is... You've made a very good question there about that exact study. Maybe we should I, track down the people who did it and say, did you think of this? I think it's because <laughs> we, when you're paying attention to somebody and you're, or you're listening to what they're saying and you're conceptualising it in your head, you kind of filter out the ums and the ers because we don't really notice them when we're talking to each other. It's when you come to edit it and every time you hit an um, it, it really jars me. It's, it's like gives you a right. twitch. The point is, when you're talking to someone, you think in the conscious part of your brain that you're editing out the arms. I would testify, as would the, or I would suggest, as the people who do these experiments would probably suggest also, that in fact what's happening is that your brain subconsciously is creating little hooks and like a map of what the other person is saying, and that, that weirdly, we biologically as animals... No, when we're speaking to someone, when we need, almost we we put in an arm or a hesitation or a pause or we change track halfway through, that the other person's brain actually goes, oh, I better pay attention to this because I'm following them. But if you make it smooth, then maybe it's a little bit like uh, smooth peanut butter. It's a little bit less interesting, and so therefore more of it gets filtered out. Um, so yeah, speech is like peanut butter, and the little knobbly chunky bits are. This is a stupid analogy to use you do, as either type of peanut butter would kill you. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so you're saying, Ian, speech is like poison. And it's like, right, that's it, I'm moving to a pro-censorship position. Um, so, yes, uh, so uh, because we kind of boiled into beginning with talking about ums and ers and editing, uh, we should probably recap for those people that didn't get the really interesting part before that, that you were a bit tired this evening, so you're grateful that this is a metasode and not an episode recording session, correct? Yes, basically I say, so tell me what's up, Leo, and then I lean back and put my feet up, and uh, then you basically at some point you'll go, Ian, and I'll startle awake and go, oh yes, that's a great point there, Leo. Well, you can listen to our podcast, you can find us that, and then it's a wrap. Oh, right, I remember how to do this now. Uh, I momentarily forgot how our show worked in terms of the backstage elements, which is not surprising, because... Uh, we're not really doing a show. It's a metasode. Hello, everybody. Uh, for those of you that don't know, why are you starting on a metasode? I suppose, actually, it's a good place to start, because, like, this gives you us without the benefit of having all the extensively researched notes and having to make erudite points about stuff. Yeah. It's just us. The last thing in the blog spot is also a metasode. That's so how it works. Metasode followed by metasode. Well, it's no, no, in fact, that's format. how it was supposed to work, because the metasode, as I recall, that we did, was about, hey, this is what we're planning to do, and we're about to go away and do it, and we'll probably go with another metasode before we start the season, and say, hey, look at the thing that we have done. And so we have, in fact, delivered on our promise. Promise, so, well... Uh, the viewers are relieved. They would have been demanding this episode had we simply skipped it and gone straight to episode this one. But no, we're making you wait another week. This is what I, this is what I like about our, our fans. They don't demand anything. Uh, it's, it's like a love-hate relationship. I love the fact that they let us basically do whatever we want. But I hate the fact that I don't know whether that's really what's happening. So, uh, yeah, I wrote some, it's not really show notes, it's sort of 
like a screed that kind of generally forms the notes into the into a Trello card for this episode. I'll read it and then we can comment upon it as we go along. So this this tiny piece of text that we've got on a card is basically the script for the show, but there will be many tangents. Uh, so we'll, we'll start. It's nearly content time for the kids of 2019. Our show count this year, including reviews, but not including metasodes, will be eight, which is four less than 2018. But, like all right-thinking enterprise, at this time, we're blaming Brexit. So, yeah, I mean, that's actually true. We might have, might, being operative, maybe thought of doing some more episodes, but we were supposed to... I was supposed to be being stripped of a bunch of my rights on the 31st of March. So we were like, let's just take it easy and see how that goes. Then it turns out that I wasn't going to be stripped of my rights till Halloween, um, which gave us plenty of time to record some content. But, of course, it's still coming. And so, therefore, that's about it. I mean, it's possible. <laughs> I don't know about likely, but it's definitely possible. We get three episodes into the into the season, and then I won't be able to transfer data into our podcast providers because uh, there is a law about that so we might have a, an unplanned hiatus where the, we can't contact each other or anything uh, because that's what no deal brexit is all about folks the apocalypse but there are other issues at stake aren't there Ian? are there the tv talks of very little else uh, other issues well there's been yeah as to why we're not pumping out you know why we didn't why we're not stepping it up well, As opposed to, we're sort of stepping it down. We've got a kid, you know, we're a bit busier than we were. We've got the old ground yeah. covered, really. Um, I know, we're, we're just kind of giving it one last throw of the... Well, not one, one last. We're giving it a good throw of the dice, and we'll see how they land, and then we'll make decisions from there. But I don't want to be doom and gloom about it. No, well, uh, the next paragraph covers this, I think. As promised, however, we've paid particular attention in the crop of topics we're about to discuss to the energy levels and quality, and we're hoping this raises the bar for average quality. We're also trying to focus more on organising, researching, and adding something new. And also, I mean, you know, we just... And then, of course, there's technical gremlins. This is your cue to discuss the problem with the Bruce Campbell episode. Oh, my goodness me. It was the episode that nearly broke me. Uh, not because I have anything against Bruce Campbell. He seems a lovely gentleman, and I in no way hold him responsible for the hellish quagmire I was lost in. It's simply because, I don't know what it is about the episode, because we recorded another episode straight afterwards, and that quality was generally okay. But this episode is like, I tried a bit of noise removal to try and bring it down. This made it a little muffled, just a little, but I was terrible. So pretty much all my waveforms had to be individually resized as I went inch by inch because you just can't blanket boost everything because then I start peaking because even though generally I'm a very small little waveform I occasionally have these little shoot-ups that you have to watch out for Uh, and I think also there was there was other little niggles as well even with your sections Uh, and it just basically meant that the whole thing had to be pieced together pretty much like some kind of ransom note uh, from the live recording. Uh, so what normally editing episode is about an hour long. So, you know, if you sit down straight after work and start editing it, you can get it done before you go to bed or you do it over two nights. It's not usually a huge issue. Uh, but this one, it was like, it was just a week, then a week and a half, and I was still working on it and it wasn't ending. I think I finally got to a bit where we finished the episode discussion. Now we're just in the wrap up. And I tried hopping in just to finish off the last seven minutes. And I was like, my brain is actually in active rebellion against me. I must go do something else. So I went off and edited the next episode, and I did it in like two nights. Bash, bash. It was a good girl of fashion days. I have my groove was back. My God. This was going to be, editing was like, from now on, I felt that it was like, it's, it's time basically just to contemplate terrible self-injury. Uh, and then I can use it as an excuse to get out of editing. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing. And it would be nice if we could split the workload and i did try last year i took i did edit episodes last year in fact um and i took them into work uh, but unfortunately the only time i could do them in work is during my lunch hour so that's an hour so if you consider your description that it takes i would say roughly four hours to edit an episode is that correct? an episode but well it's, it's basically two evenings for the content and another evening then just to do the, the little funny thing that goes on one minute at the start of this episode yeah essentially yeah so four to six hours yeah now that means that ian can as he says do them like maybe take two evenings out after work and do it whereas i would take 
like a week and a bit to do that in my lunch hour. And that's presupposing that nothing else comes up in my lunch hour, like having to fill in a form or do something else. So, yeah, it, it does get a little bit arduous. Also, you get to a point with it where you're like, I just want to go on and finish it now, but you have to go back to uh, uh, typing the letter Q over and over and over, which, of course, is what system developers do, according to my wife. Put a Q in it, she says, and that's how we fix everything. So now you know. Have you tried turning it on and off again? Have you put a Q in it? These are the two things that make software development what it is. So yeah, so I like the, I like the idea as a conspiracy theory that that you you coders have just put a veneer of mystique over everything that you do, and it really is just turn it off and on or put a Q on it. And like you go inside the club and they tell you the secret is that you must tell no one or the assassins will be after you. We're on the gravy train here, guys. <laughs> oh, if only it were so. Oh, if only it were so. As as my wife also accused me of, she said that, you know, if there were lizard people, I was certainly one of them. And I said, that's ridiculous. We don't have a swimming pool or I don't have a sports car. We don't live in a mansion. She says, yeah, I didn't say you were a good lizard man. I just said you're a bit crap at it. Uh, but you definitely are one. I'm like, thanks, dear. Uh, so there we are. Ian at least suffered i've had an all right time uh, putting together the notes although there is the bruce campbell reversal so bruce campbell show has been a bit, bit cursed where i was going to have this cute project that went along with the bruce campbell show which is why it's so early in the running order about um thinking you know bruce campbell he is a uh, underappreciated i think uh, that's what i thought and i thought maybe we could do like something special to thank him for all the stuff he He's done for fans. In pursuing this project, I obviously went and looked at posts on his Facebook and stuff and realised, actually, he's not underappreciated at all. Anything nice you could think to say to Bruce Campbell, somebody has already said it to him at least ten times, at which I thought, well, then this is a bit pointless, really. Maybe he'd like it, but I'm not sure we'd get the engagement because, and this is the irony of the situation, it's not that hard to drop Bruce a note, like Twitter comments, he reads them. You know, Facebook comments, no doubt he reads them also when he has time. You can send him a mail. He's got a website which actually siphons the mail, and you've got a reasonable expectation he might actually read and respond to the mail. This is kind of part of his persona. And hence, doing something like making a little fan book of inspired works for him is actually a lot lower reward for the fan because even if he does read it and like it and take a picture of himself with it and go hey wow thanks for this guys it's kind of what he does and so paradoxically that makes it less worth doing it's not going to engage people i'm still happy to you know whatever I could write a book and dedicate it to him and go, hey, Bruce. In fact, what we're probably going to do is say, hey, look, I've written an article about you for Trash Mutant, plus here's a podcast that accompanies it, and he'll probably be like, yay, like that. But it's just really weird. It's like the more someone is available, the less reward there is in trying to engage them in their availability. I mean, am I wrong about that? Well, more importantly, I think the issue is that we've we put together a little anthology project from fans. The thing is, any fan with a burning ambition to put together something for Bruce can already do that pretty much under their own steam and has probably already done it. It's probably easier to go to his Facebook page and hoover up posts other people have done and begin to stick it in the book. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah, so there we go. So it's... Um, it's it, it, the, but then, of course, the point is that he's he's sort of, and this is part of what we discuss in the in the in the podcast, as Ian's well aware, due to the fact he's had to listen to it five hundred thousand times, is the fact that he's one of a number of uh, available celebrities, but possibly the most conventionally famous of those available stars, and so that was what we wanted to pay tribute to, and we do in our own way. The next paragraph of the show notes say. Even so, we've struggled through to contemplate all the big genre issues in this season. We've got shows about fandom, Bruce Campbell, the creative process, the difficulties of genre, character issues, and a look at the year 2012, its top ten, and the key text for kids 
from the 80s. Uh, and indeed kids from any other decade as well, but this is Revenge of the 80s Kids, so 80s kids are going to get special mentions. So we start off with Bruce Campbell, which will be fine and good, uh, but probably not as fine as good as it should be for the amount of effort that Ian has had to put into it. Like, you'd want this podcast to basically create a thinking revolution that would bring peace to all mankind for the Ian's efforts to be worth it. He'd be there, like, thinking, well, I suffered, but at least it was worth it. Whereas now people are going to go, hey, nice show about Bruce Campbell. And we might get a, a tweet from Bruce saying, that was very good, thank you. You know, but really... Actually, you know, because we did a Robin Williams retrospective. Yes, and that was plagued by technical issues because the Skype just kept shutting off all the time or cutting out right. or something like that. But that was, again, it was something where we had to piece the, the conversation was constantly being interrupted because the, the Skype would cut out in people's mid-flow. And so uh, I was dreading that, but that actually came together really, really well. And I thought about putting together a little bit of a joke at the start about all the dropouts happening. But in the end, the episode was just so coherent. It was like, there's no point. Who cares if we had technical issues? No one goes out on stage and says, you won't believe what the difficulty we had rehearsing this play. It's just not relevant to the audience, really, is it? No, no, indeed. Um, And indeed, even though that might have been slightly tricky, I think the risk-reward was good there, because that is one of my favourite shows that we ever did. It's it's really good. It is really good. It's a little bit sombre, but it is in-depth. So that kind of... it's, It's a fascinating... Uh, look, uh, and has changed forever the way that I view Robin Williams as a as a personality. And whenever I see a human being, as a human being, indeed, and, and uh, yeah, it's always stayed with me, uh, and it means a little bit more. So you could go and look that up in our archive. We'll tell you about that later. Uh, so yeah, so after we've uh, talked about uh, that, there was a show that actually wasn't originally in the schedule. It was only going to be like six or seven shows this year. But I suddenly had this. I can't remember what... Oh, yeah, I've watched this film on Netflix, which is supposed to... It was advertised as a time travel romp and ended up being about how racism is bad and gay. And it led me to a conversation with Sue, in which we're like, do you know what? Science fiction and cinema are mostly fundamentally incompatible with very few exceptions. And so we had a little talk about that. That was a good show, wasn't it? Uh, it was a good show. I, I, so that's one of our... It, it was, but my, the only thing about it, because often I'll pose a question at the start and then we often forget to revisit it at some point. Because like I said, The Matrix is kind of the pinnacle of science fiction meets popular entertainment and we're never going to get that. that that's, you're never going to improve upon that balance. And we never really retouched on that, but I have a feeling it kind of, it's kind of stays... The statement is generally true. I, I think that, yeah, there's a high degree of truthiness to it. I think that when the Wachowskis made the original Matrix, and this is one of the diminishing returns on doing a sequel, I don't think they knew what lightning they bottled. At the time, they were constantly being paraded into rooms in which they had to tell some producer or mogul or financier it's kung fu versus robots. And so when... And you say that enough times, you kind of forget that there's a whole layer of your movie which actually is trying to communicate, you know, science, philosophy, trying to address. And then, of course, you release the movie and loads of people say, but batteries don't work like that. And maybe that kind of puts a dampener on your scientific uh, side. But what I'm saying is, I'm sure that one day there will be something popular that is in the same arena because I could point to Minority Report and that has a good deal of good futurology in it, like properly researched futurology and a, a decent Philip K. Dick story as its basis, great performance from Tom Cruise, but it sank like a stone at the box office and is now a bit of a cult classic. So it doesn't get into that matrix space purely by dint of not being that popular. And indeed, you've got things Things like predestination and what have you. But anyway, for more of that, go and listen to the show, which you can't do yet because this is a metasode before we've released the show. But when you do it, that's the kind of thing we're going to be saying. Following that, of course, we do 2012. Now, um, the good thing about doing 2012 is it's the last year before we started doing the podcast. Now, although our new format where we do top 10 and then key text is supporting going overground 
technically we talked about it in what we used to do as news shows because we didn't have the angle. If we take a, an indefinite hiatus at the end of all this, you will not feel as an audience member you've been shortchanged, I don't think, because the circle is complete. That's the way you've put it to me, Ian. Yeah, we've, we've arrived back where we started. So even though, you know, we talked about the donut, the donut hole, because we started in 2013 and we covered contemporary news, at least at the start, it was always something we discussed. And so then we started in 1975 in terms of discussion and worked our way forward through 2009. Nine. Yeah, because that's actually... So there was, you know, the, yeah. there was the, the, the three-year donut hole of films we just didn't talk about, like it was taboo or something. So we have now bridged the gap. thing is, we stopped making the podcast in 2015 and picked it up again in, what, 2018. So we do have like a two and a half year, another donut hole looming ahead as well. But for the moment, like we've arrived back where we started. So in some sense, we've come home. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. I don't know. I'd like to be 37 again anyway. So if we can achieve that, I'll be happy. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, so yeah. So 2012 is, is, is where we're at. And uh, to be fair, the year shows have a good format. I don't think they're our best format. I think our best format is weirdly the one we ripped off and then improved upon, which is the summer predictions followed by review. And, that I started to realise why it's our best format. It's because the people we ripped it off from literally just took the the release calendar for the summer and tried to put all the films and just tried to predict what the top ten would be, which I consider to be way too difficult for a human being to do because you don't know what's going to go down. You might get some things right back. But really, listening to that, you are just listening to people completely speculating and that was the idea of uh mamocast was the podcast that i took this for that took the format from originally and it was like yeah okay cool they just wanted to talk about the summer release really which is we still do but it's our thing of refining it into like award categories of going well uh, at the moment we have a category for superhero movies because they're in a different universe <laughs> ironically um, a spider verse maybe no not one of those uh to everyone else whereas then you've got sci-fi you've got action so actually splitting up like that genres make sense within themselves and you do get a better perspective and it's a bit like a little mini award ceremony we crown the thing that we think is going to be at the top and then when we come to the review the thing that actually quote unquote won at the box office gets crowned and we get to see whether we are donkeys for you know promoting something so there's a lot of layers on which that format hits off I think it's like definitely from a current affairs point of view, it's our best format. But of course, the rest of the format is all for consumption at any time, whereas summer review and predictions is news. Hey, so. you know, we can still do summer reviews from now until the end of time. It's two episodes a year. I think I can work with that. Well, yeah, and I think the other thing about that is that um, we could do the predictions kind of live just for a laugh and see if anything. I, I mean, you know, it's definitely the thing that's. If you're just not really interested in all the beardy stuff, it's worth catching because it'll tell you what's going to be on at the cinema in the summer in an entertaining format. Plus, you've got two, you know, uh, slowly shrinking dudes uh, who were once slowly inflating dudes. So you say you want to be 37 again. But if you think about it, since then, we've both been at the top and now we're both deflating. You've deflated ahead of me, but I'm deflating right now. Um so yeah, so so you know, it's it's interesting. We're losing weight. We aren't actually shrinking or anything. Well, we we are shrinking. Like that's literally what happens when you lose weight. Well, not not in height, just in girth, and that's a good thing. Everybody agrees. It's science. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, so 2012. Uh, one of the things that I enjoyed about our 2012 retrospective, I liked the top ten in 2012. That was plenty. We had a couple of top tens over the last couple of years, whereas. It's been like, really? This is what's in the top ten? Uh, and 2012 has a little bit more to recommend it, I think. And the key text, obviously, always enjoy talking about Cabin in the Woods, which is one of them. I'm going to leave one of them a mystery to let people work it out for themselves. It's fairly obvious, to be honest. But then the other one that I enjoyed discussing, even though I didn't enjoy the movie, was Looper. Because I always like giving something a good kicking. Yeah, because I, I, I've never made sport out of kicking a film made by Ryan Johnson. It's never happened once on this podcast. 
I still have no objection to that movie that you're, you're talking about, personally. Well, honestly, you know, if, if it was a case of, like, there was a whole band of people who, like, simply thought it was fine and brilliant and everything, and it was, Star Wars was still rocketing on our heads like some kind of battleship, I'd be fine with it. But there are. But it does seem to be the... Every- Every time I see a complainy post, there's like a bunch of people going, it was fine, I really don't understand why you're getting on a high horse palace. No, 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 because uh, what yeah, we're, getting, we're getting into the hole now. The fact that Solo flopped, and I didn't think it was going to do that well. But, but I said, I didn't think it was going to do that well. I thought I was going to do like $700 million. I didn't think it was going to flop. Yeah. The fact it flopped shocked even me, yeah. and I'm a big Disney Star Wars naysayer. So I'm honestly looking at last this, um, the rise of Skywalker, Skywalker coming this Christmas. Uh, I think that's going to do very badly as well. No. There's very little. Right, I'll tell you why so Very little I, interest. I, that's bollocks, right? I think that the single reason that Solo flopped, nobody's following it. Most people, most punters, don't follow industry press and don't really care. Okay, so what you had was one came out at Christmas and one had come out the Christmas before. And one had come out Christmas before that. So people would be like, Christmas tradition, let's go and see Star Wars. And that's the kind of box office they were getting. And lots of people came. I came out of uh, the episode eight, and the, the three other people I was with were like, that was all right. In fact, one of them had seen it before, and this was their second viewing of that one. But then... Four months later, and remember, they're not the MCU, where you, what happens with the MCU is, you just go, oh, I'm waiting for my next dose of Marvelness. People weren't in that headspace. So they went, there's a Star Wars movie out? Oh, I'm not sure. I mean, and there's the Avengers, and um, and that's what happened. And then they got to Christmas and went, what? And the people who aren't following the press are like, so what's the Star Wars movie this Christmas? I didn't go and see that one back in May, but surely there were no Star Wars movie. And now we've been over 18 months with no Star Wars movie. So the general and when it gets to Christmas, that they'll be able to reawaken that. Well, I've had two years off now. Brilliant. I'll just go and see this. And that's what's going to happen. And everybody in Hollywood is going to be scratching their heads because they only look at fan stuff and focus groups and people who read industry press. The fact is they've trained people to go and see them at Christmas. One came out in May, then they let everyone down at Christmas. So when it comes to this Christmas, everyone will be back to normal. And then they're going to have to, okay. d- yeah, they're going to have to deal with the fact that most people are like cattle. They're not like, they're okay. not making a decision. Well, okay, good news, listeners. We're going to have a very microscopic version of our summer predictions. We're going to have a Christmas prediction on one particular movie. Yeah. Because I'm predicting it's, I don't think this will flop. I don't think it's going to do it's not going to break the billion mark. That's my prediction. I think it will just about... Right, so the billion is where we're talking about. Star Wars billion. We're going to make this a thing. Star Wars billion. If it goes over the billion, then I win. And if it goes under the billion, then Ian wins. Uh, and in this... So if Leo wins, he wins the internet. If I win, I just win my own bitterness and validation. Well, no, I think no, it's, this is the thing, right? You've got the lower number. So technically that makes you the rebels. But you're centering this on misery and bitterness. So maybe that makes you the empire. Whereas I'm basing it on hope and optimism. So doesn't that make me the rebels? But then I'm trying to talk about a corporation making a vast amount of filthy lucre. So doesn't that make me the empire? So the question is, who's the rebel in this and who's the empire? We don't know! I'm just going to say, it's based on a thing as well, the toy sales have just dropped off the face of the cliff, the DVDs aren't selling, no one's really going to Galaxy's, uh, the Galaxy Edge in Disneyland and, and um, Disney World, the very low interest over there. So it feels like the modern Star Wars, Disney Star Wars, interest is very low. But the old films are still perennials, they're still shifting units of those. So I'm like, uh, they've kind of, they've kind of cast off pretty much all the legacy of the, of the original trilogy by now. So we're just left with their new characters, which I have to say, objectively speaking, as someone who came in wanted to like all this, I think those characters are a bit underbaked, a bit undercooked, not developed enough. So there's not a long for me, for me to hang on to there. Yeah. But we'll see what we do. Uh, they certainly know they can't have this film go this go way of solo. So they are certainly doing everything they can to make this a film that will 
at least make the audience and, who knows, maybe a some fraction of the fans happy. Maybe we'll have a bit of a Star Wars catch up around Christmas if we can be bothered. So there, so there we go. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's that. Um, then the final two shows in our, our content blast are uh, centering around some superheroes. Yay! Oh, wait, everybody's tired of superheroes now, except the box office. People on the internet are tired of superheroes, but then the box office is not tired. This plays into my theory that most audience members are cattle. Yeah, they're not paying attention to the internet, and they don't give a shit about what the industry press is saying. Well, I'm I'm certainly interested in the post-game era that we're now moving into. All the momentum is, was building up to what we had, and then the film after that was Spider-Man, which you can kind of say is, is again, a, a name that's probably going to sell well regardless. Not necessarily, but it, odds were in its favour. Uh, but So now we're heading into a whole new batch of whole new characters. This is going to be interesting. But yeah, the, the, the game of, I think, these films have peaked. Uh, that's been said for... A long, long, many, many years people have been saying how fed they are with, with superhero films and how at the show it's all about to pop. What's really interesting about it is how Feige's gone fine. You think he's peaked. One, we're going to help Disney Plus get off the floor. That's one. Of, that's clearly one of the main genders. All the known names of the, what's been coming, uh, like Falcon and Winter Soldier, uh, WandaVision, all of that stuff. That's And Loki, of course, that's all on the telly. That's all in your streaming service. And then on the big screen, they're just running basically Ant-Man after Ant-Man after Ant-Man. Not literally a bunch of Ant-Man movies, although Ant-Man 3 is conspicuous by its absence, but Shang-Chi, anyone? Shang-Chi? Eternals? Yeah, they're doing all of these like... Well, Eternals is clearly going to be a second roll of the dice set doing Guardians of the Galaxy, although, to be fair, the way they sold Guardians of the Galaxy was... Look, a talking uh, a talking tree, well, sort of talking tree, and a raccoon with a gun! Yeah, whereas the way they're saying Eternals is, look, it's got Angelina Jolie in it. And for me, saying, look, it's got Angelina Jolie in it is not a marketing tactic that has proven success. In fact, if it proves anything, it's that that is a proven failure. So maybe if they it said, hey, look, it's got Tom Cruise in it. They might have had something because he can make a He's kind of 50-50, really, isn't he? But, yeah, I mean, as, hey, look, it's Angelina Jolie is slightly worse than saying, hey, look, it's got Vin Diesel in it. And that's saying something. Well, I'm not as pessimistic as most are about Marvel movies. Perhaps in some kind of grand kind of box office take, uh, maybe they're past their peak, but I still think it's a very sustainable business model. And, you know, maybe they have to modify their budgets down a little and it'll all be fine. They can still churn them out and people still go watch them. What's going to happen is when they get to the, the next stage of big movies, when they finally drop, we're going to do another Avengers, but it's going to be like new Avengers and maybe even call it the new Avengers. That's where they're going to be expecting to get back into the arena. But at the moment, what they're doing, which I think is quite sensible, hopefully reducing the budgets a little bit and trying to be, you know, a little bit more here's a little nugget to keep you going and try and pull people back into another thing and to be fair i think that's entirely appropriate that's not really what we talk about in the show so you've just got a little bit of bonus film commentary there in the shows we're talking about spider-man and batman as sort of paragons of various types and uh, the spider-man show is uh, kind of about okay if it like i mean and in fact it was a golden time for us when we got to record that because it was all about how yeah okay so if Spider-Man is such a bankable st- uh, star, may I refer you to Amazing Spider-Man 2? Yeah? Like, how did that happen? If it's so easy, you just, like, Spider-Man is a license to print money. So we talk about that for an hour. And then the other one is, okay, is Batman over? Because we've got the incel anthem Joker movie. The reviews on it have varied between rhapsodic early ones. And now other reviewers are actually getting to see it prior to the film actually being and he's going, oh man, this is in poor taste. And I'm saying that it's like this isn't this isn't right. This isn't a good movie. This isn't even a good idea. This is like the Joker as taxi driver. You can feel the Joker is is like iconic and, and uh, someone you kind of cheerlead them in the fact that you know that they're going to get beaten. Like whenever I see a good Joker story, I love the middle, but the bit. Where where he gets slammed back in Arkham Asylum or whatever and, and outwitted, 
that's the best part of the story. Yeah. So he's not a folk hero. But unfortunately, apparently, the new Joker movie makes him a folk hero. Um, so we discuss how the fact is that one, the Joker's a bit, uh, having a bit of a problem in the movies and how this follows hard on the heels of Batman having a massive problem in the movies and Ben Affleck actually getting short change and could have been a lot better as the Batman and how, uh, you know, Batman is actually becoming better when Batman's not there as evidenced by the Gotham TV series. So we're talking about those things and we have tried to sort of make it so that we're actually discussing things. I wouldn't, has, I wouldn't say, you know, intellectual, it's not a seminar, but it's like, it's like we didn't want to just sort of, run through it and go, huh, that was good. So we wanted to actually make some points. I think we succeeded in that. So that's what's coming up, basically. Uh, referring back to our notes, once we've been through that lot, we'll be heading towards Christmas 2019. We'll be passing the windscreen into the rearview mirror, leaving the question, what happens next? So what does happen next, Ian? Well, I suppose we'll uh, exchange some presents, we'll have some turkey, and uh, then a nap in the afternoon. And our notes say part of the answer is the UK goes through a major constitutional crisis that may sop up some of Leo's free time. What we are planning as the 80s kids is kind of a part, you know, constitutional crisis notwithstanding, up to the folks at home. Um, so I'll just read through this so that we can get it clear and then discuss what I've said. Our chief aim in coming back off height is to see if we transform our fan base, such as it is, that's you guys, into something more of a community. Um, and that has been a big challenge. And we have been restricted by uh, various circumstantial factors, which is how I like to describe my son. Um, this season represents last push and getting a green shoot from that potential seed. Um, so we've had a little bit of interaction from people who might be listening to the show, but are mostly people I kind of know. Um, so, that, I mean, but the thing is, right, that's how these things start. There's all sorts of memes that go around uh, the sort of Patreon circles and stuff like that. But if your friends are doing something creative, you should support them. And that's fine. I mean, you know, actually, this is a true thing that um, if my friends are doing something creative, I do try to support them um, because I know what it's like when you do something creative and your friends don't support you. So, yes. That's that's a different thing, which I might actually talk about in a minute. You got a bone to pick? When it no, well, yeah, it's, I'm going to well talk about that generally. If it works, happy days. We'll hunker down and schedule out some content for 2020. But if it doesn't, we might have to put another a more indefinite uh, hiatus on it. So we can put out specials and go. I put it down here as go on a more vague hiatus state, like. King Arthur waiting for the call to pick up the gauntlet once more. So, in which case, what I would say there is, look at making the community thing more, um, and then maybe come back once we have a community. Because um, actually, people do do that, which is another point. So we've got two points to talk about there. One, support. Oh, your camera just went off again. Uh, one, <laughs> not that it matters to the folks at home, of course. But uh, we kind of look at each other, so we're more having more of a conversation. Uh, so I look and say. I'm going to pass the ball to you now, Ian. That's how we keep the flow going so keenly. But anyway, yeah, so the first point was supporting your friends when they're doing something creative. Now, I don't know about you, Ian, but on in my world, many of the things that I have done creatively are a little bit wacky. They're a little bit out there. Like, if you're a person who does, like, uh, you know, a picture of a lovely castle on a hill with like flowers and stuff you put it up you'd expect everyone in your family friend circle to go what a nice picture of a castle how clever you are for painting that but when you've written a novel that's like longer than return of the king about voodoo gods and celtic gods battling over a small village in nottinghamshire you can kind of forgive people who are like i it was a long book I love it. I love that you've done it. But it's a long book. There's, how can I put this? A lot of words in that book. And then you kind of go on to say, okay, well, how about this thing that I've put out about uh, a man in virtual reality who believes that he's a real person who's been trapped and had his 
kind of won't, but who may in fact be like a bot who's bizarrely and inexplicably come to life and then it gets more complicated. How about that? And to be fair, I have a few friends who should like that, but everybody who I know, no, it's, it's niche again. And then I did an Assassin's Creed fan fiction. Oh yeah, that's niche. So everything I've done is, is really niche. So as much as people can clap me for doing it or say that, that they appreciate that I have done it, you know, I mean, there was that whole year I did the Bridgetown Tales, which uh, are still available for you to look at. And to be fair, I was kind of expecting a bit more traction, but I think there might be a boy who cried wolf factor coming in. But most of the stuff I do is too weird and out there. So when it came to something that people could probably get their heads around a little bit easier, they were like, oh, not another thing that the owner's doing. It's probably very niche. I'm like, great, thanks for that. I mean, because, because I also wrote role-playing games. Niche. Everything I've done is niche. So as much as it's great to say you should support your friends doing creative things, it's hard when that friend's creative things, you don't really understand what they are. Do you, Ian, how do you relate to this idea? Well, I feel like you're laying down the argument the next thing we do is a, is a kitchen sink drama, or maybe we should turn this into a sports podcast. What, 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 what's, what's mainstream these days? Well, I, yes, that is a point. Everything is a minority taste. Even things like superhero movies that are massively popular, if you take the full population of the market, the full number of potential customers, nothing does better than a drop in the ocean nothing not football not superheroes not you know the things we think of as you know there's a meta level in which they infect a culture but the actual enthusiasts about the actual thing always a tiny amount of the overall population so there is that and that's why when you say niche you mean you know it's like what was the definition of when you talk about oh a, a, a ripping cult sci-fi classic and someone say yeah a cult is a number of people not large enough to make a minority so you know that's that's where we're at with that here's a question i see myself as someone who has to do creative projects from time to time and indeed i regard this podcast as a creative project even though i think a lot of people who would support me otherwise are oh it's just his silly podcast and therefore they don't support this either how do you feel about your create your life as a creative person ian do you see yourself as a creative person? Yes, yes, I do. Sometimes wonder if I squandered my my abilities, um, which is a very self-aggrandizing thing to say, really. Yes, I do. I think I've got. I think I've got it in me because I've I've have done because there's there's things you do online which are creative, and it's just for a little crowd of people who are working together just for the fun of it. And this podcast has been one of them. And I'm doing a few of those things now, and everyone's terribly responsive about things I do in my own little corners of the internet. I'm thinking, I'm sure I could put. I'm having seen most of the. TV and film outputs we're having at the moment I'm pretty sure I could do better uh, if I only had the technical know-how of how to run a production. Yes I am. Why do you ask? Well I'm asking because I just wanted to know if, right okay so as you see yourself as a creative person and you've sort of half answered the question, do you see yourself as being supported by all those about you in your creative endeavours? Not really, no. I mean, everyone knows I do a podcast and they often ask about the podcast and, you know, they go, did did you enjoy your recording tonight? It's a a question I'll be asked once I emerged blinking from my study after a four-hour recording session. Only one person I know is actually asked to sit down and listen to to an episode. And that's because he has a task where he does need to listen to something whilst he's doing other things. No, not really, no. But then it isn't really their kind of thing, to be fair. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the uh, big advantages, the best, the biggest film and television podcast on, on the internet is, of course, Komodo Mayo. And I think one of the things that they did uh, or managed to hook onto was that their obvious uh, subtitle or alternative, aka Wittertainment. And that, and then there was a whole thing when they first adopted this that some people, we don't want anyone to mistake this. This isn't Wittertainment because we're witty. It's Wittertainment because we witter. And that's the point. Like, there's this idea that although every so often it drops out for Mark Kermode to do, like, a ten-minute review of a film, it's mostly him and Simon bickering about various things. And and, and Mark's sort of saying, of course, in this uh, seminal 1973 movie, have you seen that, Simon? Simon's going, no. 
because I'm a normal person and I don't watch that stuff. And so people can listen to that podcast and not really care about the movies. Weirdly, it becomes like part of the whole fabric of the thing. And I think we have kind of gone in exactly the opposite direction. If you're not into movies, there's not much point listening to the podcast because we don't, we've tried to keep in the main thread witter to a minimum. And in fact, we've siloed it into this metasode part of the, the program. So yeah. So, and this is exactly, you're describing exactly the same thing. It's like, because we don't do something that's instantly accessible most of the time, when we do do something that's instantly accessible, people have already put up their eye. Oh, I don't do that because I'm sure he loves it. And I'm sure there are people that love it that do him. And I'm, I support him in a general state, but I don't really want to listen to it or engage with it anyway. And that's kind of one of the, the problems we had. So it occurs to me in having this conversation that maybe taking our podcast uber beardy may have been the wrong move, but we'll find out, eh? Are you saying that perhaps we just need to do a podcast where we just kind of sit down and have a cup of tea together and have a good natural about stuff? That's that's what people do. They just talk about stuff. Like, the whole thing at the beginning of the episode, we talked about something, and I can't remember what it was. It was before we started going a bit blamongy, but um, talked about, uh, oh, editing, editing audio and things like that. People listen to that because they know that a topic they might be interesting might come up, and you do centre it around things that are going on. So, for example, if we were suddenly to break out and do an hour, hour talking about Brexit or an hour talking like Blamange and trying to be non-Blamange about it. So we did like the non-Blamange podcast where we just tried to pick something apart without getting into it. Say we tried to stratify arguments or examine things as a phenomenon. There we might get more listeners because we would pick people up as we did topics that we could bring people in. Like, oh, I started listening because they did a show about thing I I am interested in, and then I continued to listen because I found it entertaining. That's the way it is. Whereas if every episode is like, we're looking at films, then really only people who look at films will ever come and look at it. And to be fair, most of them are finding us like an optional extra as opposed to something that it's really vital that they listen to. And so that is where, which is possibly why a lot of film and TV podcasts tend to gravitate off towards doing new stuff because like our st- to date our most listened to episode is the one that we did about uh the hunger games and twilight because there's a large people who listen to anything to do with that topic um and in some cases a podcaster would just go right now we're a a, a young adult film and television podcast because apparently people will listen to that but we chose to go the harder road and stick to what we wanted to do um and that's born all the fruit root of such a thing as you would expect it to be so yeah so in answer to your question we probably would if we just had a wimbling podcast as long as we were organized about it we probably would get more listeners yes all right because i was thinking of if of alternative directions it's like it's am i a creative person yes i like to be creative i like to do certain things certainly we, we i think we're both the kind of people who would if we if given the resources by someone particularly insane just go off and tell our great four-year-long epic storylines that are simply amazing. But I, I kind of feel like if even that's uh, putting out something, some original content, telling a story, something I really, really want to do, and then we've got to do very small scale to start. Just focus on this half hour we're putting out yeah. right now. What is the story yeah. there? Don't worry about what so, the twist is two years from now. Yeah, so we have been keen to do something more audio drama This is part of our show notes as we get to the end now. And I've had a couple of stabs at it on in, in the background. If anyone had ever subscribed to our Patreon, we might have been compelled to talk about that creative process. But as it is, we don't need to. So while we've been doodling, uh, we've identified a common need for the things that we do to be a bit more umphy and have some energy behind it. And so far, we haven't quite hit the nail on the head with that. So we need a dramatic project to be both full up with energy and pretty casual in format so that we can basically stitch it together in a fast and loose fashion and then bang it out very quickly. So we're not there right now, but we know exactly 
be what we're aiming for, so that's a bit closer than we've been in the past. We've just gone, hey, I've got a fairly decent script, let's try and do this. We've even gone as far as according a bit, and then we come away at the end and go, as you said, uh, well, maybe this is all centred around, you know, building in foreshadowing of a twist that's not going to come up until we've recorded seven or eight eight 40-minute shows, uh, which is fine if you if that's what you do as a living, if that's, you know, if you're like a showrunner on, on Gotham or whatever. But for us who's doing it in a spare time, that's a, that eight episodes is going to take a long time to come together. It, it just doesn't feel right. Th- this came out of the fact that sometimes we did some of our best work or have done some of our best work when we're doing it like, kind of off the cuff, like the, the way that the skits took over the main run of the show and stuff like that where if we're just doing something stupid to be messing around then sometimes that comes out really great to script something so heavily and to be like taking this professional it's great from a a plus for effort and professional demeanor but it doesn't in the end result in having having us even have the motivation to try and make it into content the content that we enjoyed putting out, I think I can say for both of us, is stuff like the Luke Besson episode where we had the stupid thing about the giraffe and all that. And we just kind of basically made it up and then put a bunch of stupid sound effects on the top of it. And then that's it. You know what I mean? Is that is that where I'm... Am I hitting the nail on the head there? Yeah, yeah, kind of. I mean, unless we're doing a comedy series, because then you just have comedy characters that don't need to develop. But if it's just us doing something a bit more serious... Um, then it needs to, perhaps an anthology would suit as well. Well, I, it's like, what's the hook for the anthology is what I'm thinking. Well, exactly. The, the dangerous, the dangerous comparison I'm about to make in public is that what we said was it should be more like Red Dwarf, which is dangerous because if you would consciously go out to go and make something that ended up being like Red Dwarf ended up being, you'd probably fail. So I don't mean Red Dwarf. What I mean is that when I think Grant and Naylor started Red Dwarf, they just wanted to riff on a bunch of classic sci-fi tropes and needed a vehicle to do that. And they had, it was exactly the same thing that you've always said in that you work better under a heavy degree of restriction. As it was like, well, you can afford to employ four actors at first and five and then guests, guest actors who drift through for a single recording and stuff like that and you can afford like 10 sets or whatever it is and you can afford this much outside broadcast e.g. very little and you just but you still want to riff on these massive uh, sci-fi tropes so what are you going to do and so they came up with red dwarf because like well we have like a model ship made out of a, a gallon tanker and a you know we get a few outside shots of that and then we have a few cardboard sets and then we've got Cat and Rimmer and Lister and Holly and then a few guest stars every so often something happens and slowly it grew and it grew although as uh, people are fond of saying reminding us the budget went down and down but yeah the point was that all of the thing that people enjoy and appreciate about Red Dwarf came out of the fact that they had very little and they were just given a chance to go for it um, and so this is and this is what they wanted to do more than anything and although i agree that i would really like to create one of these i love sort of well executed arc shows and stuff like that well executed being the key i also quite love don't know what watch burn notice and i quite like that a team format as well where it's like it's just got a thing that it does every week and in fact burn notice got worse the more arky it got which is in line with your thoughts ian basically what we've got to do is work out what do we really want to take the piss out of and just kind of riff on that with the resources that we have and see and try and get some stuff out that's basically the idea isn't it don't go with the comedy idea and the sort of drama idea is some kind of i mean we have a very small cast so it would be like, you know, mostly uh, two-handers, three-handers, four-handers, small mini-dramas. We had an abandoned project which we were going to do last Christmas, uh, horror anthologies, three, three characters per drama, three dramas. And I really enjoyed putting together my little segment of that. Well, this is uh, this is the thing. I mean, we again, we had a really good idea about that for audio drama, and it was born out of restriction. We're going to have, like, one. One day to record it, three actors, three stories, perfect. And then one of, one of, we didn't come together. It was just two of us and 
we hadn't planned for that restriction. This is the problem with restrictive projects. If the rules change at the last minute, they tend to die really badly. So people are kind of relieved when they don't. The the window of opportunity passed, but in terms of that creative hurry to hammer together, because you've got to put put together a ten-minute horror story involving three characters, all of them are male, and they've got to be nice if you can have a twist at the end. And, and with that brief, you really had to really put some brain power into it. And I like to think my idea, or your idea was quite good as well. I thought, I thought they are two things that we were doing were fine for something that was going to take up 10 minutes of people's time per piece. And it was just going to pop up unasked for out of nowhere into people's feeds at Christmas time. I thought that's kind of nice. So I kept thinking some kind of a quick turnaround anthology thing might be a thing to do, some sort of Twist in the tail, horror, well, sci-fi. I was more thinking. Could. I was more thinking in that Red Dwarf and indeed sort of Futurama kind of mould. Because if it turns out that we do need like five characters, but two of them are human and three of them are like robots or aliens, then we can fill that in ourselves. And if someone drifts by the microphone and wants to be in, we can suddenly make a part for them. And that's oh, yeah. the kind. Of- Certainly, we talked about dramas because we've done so many skits and. We- we know we can do those, and yeah, and comedies work a little different from drama. Is it funny? Is it not? Are you being humorous? Are you being amusing? Are you, are you in some fashion being light? You, you're achieving that, or you're not. Uh, so yeah, that's that's a that's a different thing entirely, and uh, yeah. we know we can and do I, that. I mean, the other reference. Of what is what is the format for that? Well, exactly. The other reference that I have for this endeavour that is potential is uh, League of Gentlemen. You've probably never watched League of Gentlemen. Not the film. From the, the, uh, yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, local the things yes. for local people and all that. I, I've lived with someone who was really into League of Gentlemen, so I am somewhat aware of it through osmosis. No, no, I, mean, I understand that, but the point is that I think that probably they had the very same thing uh, where there was three of them and they had a very lim- they again had these restrictions and what they eventually wanted to go. They wanted to push the idea of making people laugh at something that was making them uncomfortable. And that ended up edging straight into horror. So it was this really weird provincial English kind of... So they did... They were recovering a lot of the same ground as many classic... You know, like, weirdly, they were in the same areas, things like The Good Life and To The Manor Born, where it's like they're kind of taking... the and and indeed, uh, in Last of the Summer Wine. Uh, and yet they were taking that to a logical extreme where, and the makeup and everything all supported this idea that it was kind of grim and then edging into horrific. And then as it went on, it became more and more horrific. And so, but you were still kind of laughing. I, I mean, I, I, I didn't watch it at all when it first came out. I watched it kind of in retrospect when it was a known thing. And I think it is, if anything, underestimated how brilliant it is. And that's the kind of thing I want to capture, is the fact that the, the, all of their brilliance is born out of, well, we haven't got any money and there's only three of us, and what do we want to talk about and how can we talk about that within this framework? So we are going to have to find our Red Dwarf, our Royston Vasey, our little corner and put the characters in it and then do stuff with them that makes it feel and i think that the royston vasey model where it's like sketches but they're all centered around a thing which in this case is royston vasey that's probably closer to where we're going to end up than red dwarf which is like actually kind of has some pretension to continuity and a story because Mm. i just like the idea of having this kind of is it a sketch show or is it a soap opera what is it what is this i want people to be kind of maybe find it amusing i would even go so so far as to say maybe make it a little bit grim, um, but bring in all the ideas and then just have people wonder what it is. That's that's what I want to go But that's as far as I've thought about it so far. Um, so, yeah, so uh, to summarise, basically what next is either people go apeshit for our new content format and think it's brilliant and then we have to do more uh, 80s kids, or people ignore it, no community grows out of our new project which is associated with the articles I'm about to write about each episode for Trash Mutant. We don't get any more subscribers or listeners. There is no community, in which case we're going to do the thing we've just talked about, but we don't know where we're going to end up with, and we're basically going to restrict our strict 80s kids' content to 
to, as you say, predictions and roundup and the odd metasode about how the content is going, which is going to be very odd, like one every three months, if that. So that's where we're going to end up. And I think that's that's all I have to do. That's all the news that's fit to print. How about a variety show? What's your singing voice like? <laughs> They're better than it used to be. But yeah, no, I don't think we're going to be doing uh, Internet's Got Talent. Can you imagine what a horrible show that would be? Uh, well, final thoughts, Ian, on our, on what you think about what's your vision of the future? Uh, new and exciting. Well, that kind of classes out any more 80s kids, so you know which way he's going on that one. Maybe we'll do like a mini cast sometime after, maybe after New Year to talk about what happened with the episode nine and the Star Wars billion, try and settle the answer who's Team Empire and who's Team Rebels. But apart from that, we're done, I think. Maybe, maybe I'm Jabba the Hutt. Uh, so you're about to have uh, six or seven, that's a good idea, yeah, third faction in the board game of the Brit, yeah, very good. You're about to have us, uh, not literally, but figuratively rammed down your throat, uh, if you're listening to this, for the next seven weeks where we're doing all of the other uh, content that we've got uh, we've just talked about earlier uh but if before to nip this in the bud and to tell us what you think ian where might they go to do such a thing well one place you go will be our facebook page which you can find on facebook forward slash revenge of the 80s kids and that's 80s as numbers that's eight zero s please go there and like our page it's our community hub and we shall notify you of all the important things we're thinking about but Podcasts are what it's all about. And for those who want to point your web browser towards Blogspot, as in the 80s kids, and that's the, the 80s kids as in letters, .blogspot.com, and there you'll find a complete archive of all the podcasts we have ever done. And uh, please listen to them and make comments, because we would get very cheerful when you do. Yeah, I think that but, the, uh, I think that the key, key, the, to drive people to the rally point, the Facebook page is the rally point. The archive is an archive of shows which you are perfectly welcome to have a, a peruse. There's a good body of work there. But you want to talk to us? Talk to us. Talk to the Facebook and the 80s kids will listen. That is the, that is the key message there. Facebook is where it's at. Like us. Look at our page. Uh, we don't have a YouTube channel. But, well, we do have a YouTube channel, but there's not very much on it because uh, we're not YouTubers at this time in history. So there we are. So uh, that's 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 everything. We have completely yep. finished, except that at home, well, but we haven't completely finished. In a couple of weeks, we've got to record the review of the summer. But we have finished all the recording, uh, more or less, with that one exception. We are ready for the future. Um, we are prepared for many things that may come but actually specifically not for things that, that look as if they're pretty likely to happen. So we'll see how that plays out, eh? Um, and that's kind of it. I'm in Australia. I'm fine. Yes, you're in Australia. You got out early. It's fine. Okay, cool. Well, so folks at home, come and see our Facebook. Listen to the season. Read the articles on Trash Mutant. That's TrashMutant.com. They are also on Facebook, or we, Trash Mutant, are also on Facebook. Get involved in the 80s kids experience and who knows what the future will bring but for now bye bye see you next week Well, I suppose we'll uh, exchange some presents, we'll have some turkey, and uh, then a nap in right. the afternoon. Here's the thing, I'll be back in a second, sorry. So, uh, you tell everyone uh, your secret thoughts while I just nip out, and you can edit this out in the end. My secret thought is, why can't Leo have a tidy house? I appreciate you've got a kid and everything, but it was kind of messy before you had the kid. Can't we just, you know, just stack things neatly? Does it have to look like a hoarder's house? You know? Uh, when I come round, I, I feel like I have to tidy up. It's like, just stack things, man. Just just go get some Tupperware boxes, big ones. And just put them in those. Some shelves. Perhaps think about a loft conversion. Maybe simply 
abandon one room entirely as a kind of storage area where all the small undetermined bits of detritus can be stored and catalogued and retrieved as necessary. All in all, it's just the age-old rule you tell your kids. When you finish playing with it, put it away. And I feel that if this simple rule was followed, all would be well. But no, instead what I'm looking at right now is some indeterminately long piece of plastic leaning against the wall. I'm looking at a, a box for a vacuum cleaner which is inexplicably lying and standing in the middle of the room. Is that a brand new vacuum cleaner you just bought from Argus? I doubt it. I think the vacuum cleaner has been taken out of that box. And now that box is just sitting there because it's someone else's problem. And so here we are, just me, looking at Leo's room and the one trainer that is sitting there, not with his partner, just that one trainer, by itself. And I wonder what on earth it was all for.